scripture this morning. Romans 1, 16 and 17, and Romans 3, 22 through 24. You can read along with me if you want. The definition of the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone, everyone who believes. To the Jew first, also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. In Romans 3.22, this righteousness of God comes through the faith of Jesus Christ to all and upon all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In the desire and with the purpose of elucidating the truth, a disputation will be held on the understand under underwritten propositions in Wittenberg under the presidency of the Reverend Father Martin Luther, monk of the Order of St. Augustine, Master of Arts and of Sacred Theology, and ordinary reader of the same in that place. He therefore asks those who cannot be present and discuss the subject with us orally to do so by letter in their absence. In the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Who was this Reverend Martin Luther? Years earlier, as a law student, he was passing through a forest when he was caught in a terrific thunderstorm. Lightning struck very close to him, knocking him to the ground. Terrified, he cried out that if his life would be spared, he would become a monk. When he reached his destination, the city of Erfurt, where he studied, instead of going to the university, he headed straight to the Augustinian monastery in that city and became a monk. He took his monastic vows very seriously. According to Christ's words, Therefore, ye shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. But try as he might, he found himself coming up short. Even where he observed God's commandments outwardly, his conscience convicted him that secretly in his heart he sometimes wished otherwise. 
and he despaired. He used all the devices of a monastic profession to discipline himself and bring himself into harmony with God's will. His spiritual mentor and father confessor, Johann Staupitz, became concerned about his health. And he counseled him, Luther, get your mind off yourself. Get busy helping others. For if you help others, you will help yourself. I think that was excellent counsel. And if more people would follow it today, our head shrinks would not need to keep as busy as they are. Staupitz sent Luther off to study theology at the new university in Wittenberg. It was founded on the principles of the new school, the Via Moderna, as opposed to the typical medieval uh, concept of scholasticism. It followed the principles of the Christian humanists that we discussed last night. When Luther had earned his doctorate, he was appointed professor of biblical studies. He was made father confessor and preacher at the local parish or city church. And for good measure to keep him busy, he was made a supervisor over several convents and monasteries in that region, requiring him to travel frequently. One day, he was sitting up in the study of uh, his um, monastery, the Wittenberg Convent, up in the tower, and uh, was preparing his lectures on the book of Romans. And this time, he had an epiphany. He had read the book of Romans many times before, as he had read the other epistles by the Apostle Paul. But this time, it was different. You can read the word, you can read scripture as the word of man, which it is. But there can be special times when God's spirit speaks through his word. And then it becomes God's word. This was such a moment, such a special moment. As Luther came uh, in chapter 1, 2 verses 16 and 17, he read, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone. And he paused. It is the power of God 
for the salvation of everyone who believes. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This righteousness he read in chapter 3 from God, from God, comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Salvation was not achieved through your accomplishments. It was a gift. Luther had an epiphany. He had struggled hard and long for a gracious God. Now he had broken through the dark tunnel into the light of God, into the freedom of Christ. It was light dearly won and dearly paid for by Jesus Christ and he would not easily sacrifice it again Luther's call to a disputation was occasioned by the sale of pardons in his region Pope Leo X wanted to build a new cathedral to St. Peter in Rome. It is the cathedral, that magnificent edifice that you can see today when you travel to Rome. To do that, he needed money, lots of it. And so he used the traditional fundraising scheme by selling Table pardons across Europe. One of those fundraisers was a friar by the name of Johann Tetzel, who preached, Blessed eyes indeed, which see what they see, because already they possess letters of safe conduct by which they are able to lead their souls through that valley of tears, through that sea of the mad world where storms and tempests lie in wait to the blessed land of paradise. Know that the life of man upon earth is a constant struggle. We have to fight against the flesh, the world, and the devil who are always seeking to destroy the soul. In sin we are conceived. Alas, 
what bonds of sin encompass us and how difficult and almost impossible it is to attain to the gate of salvation without divine aid. It is necessary then to put on the armor of God. You may obtain letters of safe conduct from the vicar of our Lord Jesus Christ by which you are able to liberate your soul from the hands of your enemy and conveyed by means of contrition and confession safe and secure from all pains of purgatory into the happy kingdom. Consider that for each and every mortal sin it is necessary to undergo several seven years in of penitence and confession and contrition, either in this life or in purgatory. How many mortal sins are committed in a day? How many in a week? How many in a month? How many in a year? How many in the whole course of your life? They are while nigh numberless, and those that commit them must needs suffer endless punishment in the burning pains of purgatory. But with these confessional letters, you will be able at any time in life to obtain a full indulgence for all penalties. Sobald das Geld im Kasten klingt, die Seele aus dem Fegefeuer springt, soon as the money rattles in the chest, soul will fly out purgatory. As Father Confessor, Luther soon saw the damage that was done by these scoundrels firsthand. People would come to him, confess their sins, and demand absolution without showing the slightest signs of penitence, of being sorry. There was this widow. Her husband was an abusive man. He was a drunkard. Surely he must suffer in purgatory. How could she live with herself if she did not help him out? And so she used the money that was used for the sustenance of her children and gave it to the church. Luther was outraged. He preached a series of sermons against the sale of indulgences 
at a city church without any results. And then he decided to call for a disputation. A disputation about the sale of indulgences in academic circles. Luther was not a rabble-rouser. He was a responsible man. But as professor of Bible, he knew that knowledge comes with responsibility. He was a guardian over the spiritual welfare of his church. That is why he acted. Here are some excerpts from his 95 thesis that he posted at the castle church door, written in Latin. Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ is saying, repent ye, etc. He intended that the whole life of believers should be penitence. That word cannot be understood as sacramental penance, that is, of the confession and satisfaction which are performed under the ministry of priests. The Pope has neither the will nor the power to remit any penalties except those which he has imposed by his own authority. The indulgence sellers preach that the soul flies out of purgatory as soon as the money thrown in the chest rattles. It is certain that when the money rattles in the chest, avarice and gain may be increased, but the effect of the intercession of the church depends on God's will alone. Rare as is a true penitent, so rare is one who truly buys indulgences, and that is to say most rare. True contrition seeks and loves punishment. While the ampleness of pardons relaxes it and causes men to hate it or at least gives occasion for them to do so, apostolic pardons ought to be proclaimed with caution lest the people should falsely suppose that they are placed before other good works of charity. Christians should be taught that he who gives to a poor man or lends to a needy man does better than if he bought pardons. Because by works of charity, charity increases. And man, the man becomes better, while by means of pardons, he does not become better but only supposedly freer from punishment. Christians should be taught that he who sees anyone in need and passing him by gives money for pardons is not purchasing for himself the indulgences of the Pope, but instead the anger of God. Christians should be taught that unless they have superfluous wealth, 
They are bound to keep what is necessary for the use of their own households and by no means lavish it on partners. Christians should be taught that if the Pope were acquainted with the exactions of the preachers of pardons, he would prefer that the Basilica of St. Peter should be burned to ashes rather than it should be built up with the skin, flesh, and bones of his sheep. If, then, pardons were preached according to the spirit and mind of the Pope, all these questions would be resolved with ease. Nay, they would not even exist. Christians should be exhorted to strive to follow Christ, their head, through pains, through deaths, and hells. And thus, to enter heaven through many tribulations rather than in the false security of peace. The disputation never took place. Instead, it was translated from Latin into German and it was copied And then it went viral on the internet, (laughs) on Facebook and LinkedIn. For the internet of that time was the new technology of printing with movable type, invented by Johann Gutenberg Gutenberg in Mainz. Within short time, Two to three weeks, Luther was known throughout Europe. And the sale of indulgences declined rapidly. When it comes to loss of revenue, church administrators have always paid attention. They tried to silence Luther through his superiors. They tried to get him extradited to Rome for hearings. If he had gone, he would have not returned. And the elector of Saxony, the Duke of Saxony, where Wittenberg was located, did not want to sacrifice his star professor. A powerful man in the empire, he insisted that Luther be dealt with in other ways. While the case was prepared in Rome by his enemies, Luther decided it was time to clarify his position. He was afraid he was being misrepresented. He still believed that the papacy really could not be um, that 
evil that bad. And so he issued what are known as his Reformation manifestos. The first one was the address to the Christian nobility of the German nation. In this, he um, attacked what he called the three walls of the Romanists behind which they were hiding to avoid reform. Here is uh, an excerpt from that tract. The Romanists have with skill built three walls around themselves which has protected them so that no one has been able to reform them whereby all Christendom has suffered woefully. In the first place, when attacked by the temporal power, they have laid it down that temporal power has no authority over them, but that spiritual power is superior to the temporal. Secondly, when scripture was cited for their correction, they have objected that no one may interpret Holy Writ but the Pope. Or thirdly, when threatened with a general council, they have invented the notion that only the Pope can call a council. They have invented a distinction of calling the Pope, the bishops, the priests, and the cloistered sort, the estate, spiritual, while princes, lords, craftsmen, and peasants are called the temporal estate. No one need to accept this, and for this reason, all Christians are in truth the spiritual estate. And there is no distinction among them, except of office. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, we are all one body, but every member has his own proper function in serving the others. All that matters is that we all share in one baptism, one gospel, one faith, and are equally Christians. Unction by pope or bishop, tonsure, ordination, consecration, clothes different from layman's, all these make a hypocrite or a painted idol, but can never make a Christian or a spiritual man. In truth, we are all consecrated in, as priests by baptism, as Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And again, in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, 9 to 10, by thy blood you have made us kings and priests for if we had no higher consecration than pope and bishops can give a pope's or bishop's hands could never make a priest thus a bishop's act of ordination does this only acting for the whole congregation He takes one man from the crowd, all of whom have the same authority 
and charges him to exercise this authority for the rest. This is why in an emergency, anybody, anybody may administer baptism or absolution, which would be impossible if we were not all priests. This great grace and power contained in baptism, they have with their canon law nearly destroyed and kept us ignorant of. Thus it follows that there is no real difference between laymen, priests, princes, and bishops, as the phrase goes, the spiritual and the temporal except on grounds of office or occupation. Certainly none of the state. Christ has not two bodies or two kinds of body. He is one head and has one body. The second publication uh, was uh, called uh, On the Babylonian Captivity of the Church. It was a critique written in Latin uh, of the seven sacraments of the Roman Church. He found them all wanting in scriptural basis except for two, possibly a third one. The two were communion and baptism. And the third possibly was um, confession. The third tract, which he sent to Pope Leo, along with a personal letter addressed to him, was called On the Liberty of a Christian or On Christian Liberty. Um, in it, he developed two thesis statements. Uh, one, which uh, covered the first part of the tract, was this uh, thesis. A Christian is the most free lord of all. A Christian is the most free lord of of all and subject to no one. And then he followed up with the second thesis a Christian is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. That seems a contradiction, but he explained that in our spiritual life, in our relationship with Christ, there is none other. He is the only Lord. He is the only mediator. No one can tell you what you must believe or what you must do. 
But the Christian, while living in this world, is also a citizen of this world. And as a citizen of this world, he is to imitate the life of Christ, who lived a life of service. A Christian does not live unto himself. He lives in service to others. Sadly, this document was not everywhere understood, as we'll see later on. In the meantime, a case against Luther was coming to conclusion, and the Pope issued a papal bull called Ex Sorge Domine, he called on uh, Luther to recant, recant, to retract what he had written and preached. Within 60 days, if not, he would be considered a heretic. Luther understood what that meant. He knew well enough the history of the church and what happened to heretics. As time was running out, with his wall against the back, uh, his back against the wall, <laughs> uh, he came out fighting. And here you see a typical Luther when he is angry. Whoever wrote this bull, he wrote in his publication known as Adversus Execrabilem Antichristi Bullam. Does that tell you something? Whoever wrote this bull, he is the Antichrist. I protest before God, our Lord Jesus, his sacred angels, and the whole world. With my whole heart, I descend from the damnation of this bull, and I curse and execrate it as sacrilege and blasphemy of Christ, God's Son, and our Lord. This be my recantation. O bull, you daughter of bulls. They show their ignorance and bad conscience by inventing the adverb respectively. My articles are called respectively, some heretical, some erroneous, some scandalous, which is as much to say we don't know which are which. Oh, meticulous ignorance. I wish to be instructed, not respectively, but absolutely and certainly. I demand that they show absolutely, not respectably, distinctly, not confusedly, certainly, and not probably, clearly, and not obscurely, point by point, and not in a lump, just what is heretical. Let them show where I am a heretic, or else dry up their spittle. They say that some articles are heretical, some erroneous, some scandalous, some offensive. The implication is that those which are heretical are not erroneous. Those 
which are erroneous are not scandalous, and those which are scandalous are not offensive. What then is this? To say that something is not heretical, not scandalous, not false, but yet is offensive. So then, you impious and insensate papist, write soberly, if you want to write, whether this bull is by Eck, one of his detractors in Germany, or by the Pope. It is the sum of all impiety, blasphemy, ignorance, impudence, hypocrisy, lying. In a word, it is Satan and his Antichrist. This was a declaration of war. University students gathered outside the city gate, made a big bonfire, burning the papal bull, <laughs> along, along with uh, papal decretals and books on canon law. Luther's fate seemed to be sealed. But the elector of Saxony, the Duke of Saxony, Frederick the Wise, so-called for good reason, still held his hand over him, refusing to extradite him. And appealing to the Holy Roman Emperor, who was on his first visit to Germany, he was also king of Spain, Charles V, who was uh, presiding over the imperial diet in Worms. An imperial diet has nothing to do with eating, uh, but it is a meeting like a parliament, like a convening of the, both houses of Congress uh, in the presence of the president, and with the addition of all the dignities of the church, as well as the state, and the papal representative, which was to be held in the city of Worms on the Rhine River. And on uh, the elector's uh, demands, the emperor issued a letter of safe conduct. That meant Luther would uh, be allowed to travel safely uh, to Worms, and it was assumed to return safely as well. So Luther accepted. He traveled to Worms. He was confronted with a table loaded with his books. Luther was a prolific publisher. I asked whether these were all his titles. Of course, he did not have the time to examine what the contents were. These were the days when um, the laws of, of um, um, what do you call it, anyway, um, ownership of intellectual properties uh, were not really in existence. Um, printers were 
felt pretty free in printing anything that would sell. Uh, so Luther had little control over what they were printing in his name. But he looked at the titles and he acknowledged, yeah, it sounds like they are my, my books. Well, was he willing to recant, retract what he had written? And Luther went into a speech trying to differentiate between all the books he had published. Because he did not only publish books on doctrine, he uh, published books that were edifying to the Christian life, devotional literature, which even his friends would agree they were good to read. So why should he condemn them? Well, they would not entertain his arguments. They said, well, yes or no. And Luther understood what time this was. He asked for time out. He went back to his lodging. And there, uh, his friends descended on him and some of his enemies. There were signs around the city of trouble brewing. The city was crowded with many people, many of them, of them supporters of Luther, a lot of peasants among them, for whom Luther was their hero. And uh, overnight, several posters appeared in town of the Bunshu, the peasant shoe, which everybody understood meant imminent peasant rebellion. Everybody was concerned that if Luther would be harmed, they might not make it back home. And so they implored Luther, are you so sure that you are right and all these other people are wrong? And Luther had to admit he was a human being. All human beings are fallible. Was this the time to bend in the interest of public good? A lot of lives would be at stake, not only his own. Or was this a time to stand tall? Many of us, in the course of our lives, have to make that decision. The next day, Luther stood again before the diet. Uh, when asked, he gave another speech. He was cut short and uh, asked yes or no. Are you willing to recant or not? See, when you have authority, you have not, you don't have to try to make sense. And so Luther replied, unless I am convinced by the testimony of scriptures 
or by clear reason. Luther is not a blind fundamentalist for whom reason is not an option. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of scriptures or by clear reason, I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, for it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the scriptures. And I have uh, scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not retract anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand. May God help me. Amen. Luther had kept his integrity. When you lose your integrity, there is nothing left to lose. And he turned and walked out to the hissing of the imperial guards. The emperor was a man of his word. Unlike a hundred years earlier, Emperor Sigismund. And he allowed out Luther to leave. Then he followed up by issuing an edict called the Edict of Worms, which declared Luther an outlaw. Anyone now might be able to kill him with impunity. As Luther's train traveled through a forest on the way home, near the city of Eisenach, uh, a group of hooded horsemen appeared out of the woods, kidnapped Luther, put a sackcloth over his head, and made off with him. The rumor spread Luther had been kidnapped and killed. Germany's great hope was no more. But instead, the elector of Saxony had come through for him once again. He sent his knights to take Luther to a safe place, the Wartburg Castle. There, Luther changed his identity, his clothes, he grew a beard, and he became known as Knight George. And he was depressed. What was going to happen with him? But then he remembered his God lived still. And he remembered Staupitz's advice. Luther, 
Get off yourself. Get busy helping others. For if you help others, you help yourself. And he sat down in feverish activity. He translated the New Testament from the Greek based on Erasmus's. Uh, a critical edition of the New Testament in Greek into German. And in doing so, he laid the foundation, the real foundation for the Reformation because the word of God must be placed in the hands of the common people. And in doing so, he created a fabulous work of literature. It was written in a powerful language. I've grown up with the Luther Bible and it's still my main Bible to return to. But Luther would be remembered in history for more than just the Reformation. His Bible became the foundation for a new German language called High German. A German that, a German that all Germans of all dialects, they were widely different. You could travel from northern Germany into southern Germany and not understand much what the people were saying. Luther created the basis for Hochdeutsch, High German. And for this, he would be remembered as a towering figure. In the meantime, the Reformation was on in Wittenberg. It was led... Oops, that is the wrong direction. What, are we going back? Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Ah, I am used to the old technology, which uh, uh, consisted of a chalkboard and a chalk. And I found that to be much more reliable than the newer the technology. Okay, I have this turned this turn the wrong way around. Now here's Luther as Knight George. Um, here is a, a copy, a manuscript of uh, Luther's handwriting. Well, this happens to be the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. Um, and uh, now we're talking about the Reformation in Wittenberg. Wittenberg became a magnet for other would-be reformers as well. Um, some of them were a mixed sort. Uh, some were Bible-based, uh, truly Reformation-oriented, gospel-oriented uh, people. Others believed that now we were living in the New Testament the written word was no longer relevant. Uh, we needed to follow God's law written in our hearts. Some of them claimed uh, inspiration 
from God. Some of them had visions. Some of them claimed that now, since they were free, citing Luther's tract on liberty, they no longer had to obey their lords, the authorities. There were no authorities but Christ. Some of them attacked churches and destroyed the images because they were a violation of the Ten Commandments. Some of them attacked monasteries and convents, driving out monks and nuns, looting their treasuries. There was a lack of law and order. Others were, like I said, good Bible-believing people who wanted to carry the Reformation further, like introducing adult baptism instead of infant baptism, or uh, introducing the Seventh-day Sabbath. Luther became concerned. Now the devil knew that the gospel had been placed on the table, and he would work to his best ability to destroy the Reformation. I'd like to go through a series of uh, images that uh, carried on uh, the spread of the Reformation in the age of printing uh, and in an age where not many people were able to read or write. Uh, images could uh, serve a good purpose. Now here is uh, uh, a, an image uh, that shows that this is the time of the end when the bowls of God's wrath are poured out over the world. And at the bottom you see the dragon of the book of Revelation and if you look closely, you can see that uh, the dragon has a triple crown on its head. What might that be? That is the tiara, the crown of the papacy. Now you know what to think. You don't have to be able to read. Um, okay, this way. I'm, what is this? All right. Huh, it doesn't seem to, to work. All right, let me try that again. Here we need to go back. Okay, here we are. Sorry for the interruption here. Here's another one. Uh, the beast of Revelation and Daniel, on top of which uh, rides the whore of Babylon, and uh, for good measure, it should be clear who the horde of Babylon is by the triple crown of the papacy. Uh, okay, this is uh, a depiction of the pope in Rome. In the background, you have um, the San Angelo, the castle, papal castle in Rome. 
And uh, you look at the cloven hoof and the, the claw, um, and you know what to think of the Pope. It's called the Papal Donkey. Uh, I could have used another name. But, uh, this one is uh, uh, depicting uh, with writing, with an explanation, but anyone who cannot read can interpret it uh, correctly. This is showing that the papacy and the papal institution is going to hell. Um, another one uh, is attacking uh, personally some of the prominent papist supporters. And you see these arrows uh, with text written in that identify them by name. Um, uh, this one uh, depicts the true religion on the left, uh, Luther preaching the gospel and uh, the worshiping the crucifixion of Christ. And on the right, you have false religion. Uh, it depicts the pardon sellers, the money bags. It's the materialism of the papal church. This one evokes patriotic emotions because it harps back to the time of the Middle Ages that we discussed yesterday uh, where uh, the Pope was pitted against the Holy Roman German Emperor. Uh, the son of the Emperor had traveled to Italy with a small army and was defeated and captured by a French army which was doing the bidding of the Pope and at the behest of the Pope, this young king was executed. That was a violation of all medieval norms because the aristocracy and certainly princes and kings were not executed. They were captured and held in prison for some time. And uh, again, this is an appeal to German patriots. Uh, another one that uh, follows a similar uh, vein, that is a uh, depiction of the event of Canossa we mentioned yesterday, the humiliation of the German state uh, by the papal uh, power. Um, okay. Now, the other side was busy too. Uh, this is... Uh, a image that shows the devil blowing his bagpipe, which is rendered in, in the image of Martin Luther. <clears throat> uh, Luther decided it was time to return to Wittenberg, even though it was not safe. When he got there, he took over the reins of the Reformation, calling on the authorities to restore order, and preaching a series of sermons, a total of 12, calling on Christians to behave like Christians should. They are called the Invocavit Sermons, 
And I'm going to quote from, briefly, from one of them. Um, the issue here that he talked about was the abolishment of mass, of the Roman mass. He said, it should be preached and, preached and taught with tongue and pen that to hold mass in such a manner is sinful and that no one should be dragged away from it by the hair for it should be left to God and his word should be allowed to work alone without our work or interference. Why? Because it is not in my power or hand to fashion the hearts of men as the potter molds the clay and fashion them at my pleasure. And since I cannot pour faith into their hearts, I cannot, nor should I, force anyone to have faith. That is God's work alone, who causes faith to live in the hearts. Therefore, we should give free course to the word and not add our works to it. We have the use verbi, the right to speak, but not the executio, the power to accomplish. We should preach the word, but the results must be left solely to God's good pleasure. Now, if I should rush in and abolish it by force, there are many who would be compelled to consent to it and yet not know where they stand, whether it is right or wrong. And they would say, I do not know if it is right or wrong. And this forcing and commanding results in a mere mockery, an external show, a fool's play, man-made ordinances, sham saints, and hypocrites. For where the heart is not good, I care nothing at all for the work. We must first win the hearts of the people. But that is done when I teach only the word of God. Preach the gospel. So the radicals that had uh, crowded Wittenberg were sent packing order was restored. And Luther followed up this series of sermons with another one of his publications. It is one of his main publications that we should be well familiar with. It's called on governmental authority. Published it in 1523. In it, he developed his theory of the two kingdoms. The kingdom of God, which consists of Christians. It goes kind of parallel to unchristian liberty. And the other one, the kingdom of the world, where the Christian is a citizen. And we will spend some time this afternoon looking at that document and uh, find out why we should become familiar with it.
as it establishes the principle of the separation of church and state. Now, here are some of the main principles of the Reformation. And we will look again at them uh, this afternoon. Sola Scriptura, the Bible alone, as the source, the director of our faith. Sola Fide, salvation by faith and by grace. Not our accomplishments. God's, Christ's accomplishments. This is why he died. The individual priesthood of all believers, there is now no difference. We are all equal in God's kingdom. The equality of all in God's kingdom. And there is only one mediator, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. With that, Luther had laid the foundation for the Reformation. But this was only a beginning, for he left much unfinished. Others took up the mantle of Reformation down to our own time. For Reformation is an ongoing process. It's like the life of a Christian. It is a continuous becoming, constant growth. And if not, it is death. Luther was a true prophet. And the Reformation was a prophetic movement. Was he infallible? Of course not. And he knew it best himself. No prophet is infallible. The Adventist church is a prophetic movement from the beginning as well. We are heirs of the Protestant Reformation. To possess our inheritance, first we must acquire it. To go forward, Luther and other reformers started by going back to the sources of Christianity, going back to early Christianity. Ad fontes, the same motto that the humanists used, back to the wellsprings of Christianity, scripture alone not the fundamental beliefs that had been accumulated over time. As we go forward to advance God's truth, we would do well to start with these basic principles of the Reformation.
and of early Christianity. Soren Kierkegaard, the uh, Christian philosopher, once asked, in our time, people want to go forward. They want to go further. May I ask the question, how can we go further unless we have come first this far? Our own church, led by one of its pioneers, Ellen White, spent, uh, Ellen White spent a lifetime rediscovering these Reformation principles down to the year of 1888 when she came to the conclusion that justification by faith is the third angel's message in verity. Some of us still struggle with works. Some of us still have a problem with sola scriptura. Some of us still believe in hierarchy, in authoritarianism. And they question the universal priesthood of all believers. That in God's kingdom there is now no difference between Jew and Greek, between free and slave, between male and female. As we go forward, let us do so with a kink in our neck that comes from looking back. Let us pray. Our Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, we are grateful for Christian role models, for their example in faith, in courage, integrity, in sacrifice, in their love for truth, in their love for their fellow men, in their love for you, for the light that they have shed on truth, for us to be able to better see, for their failures from which we can learn. And for them whose life teaches us that your grace is mighty in the weak and in flawed human beings. The most important of all, we are grateful for the example of our Lord Jesus Christ to serve, to suffer, 
and to sacrifice. We pray in his name. Amen.